The scripture is 2 Kings 2, verses 23 through 24, and this is the scripture that the youth pick for Pastor Brian today. Elijah and the Bear. Elijah went up from, from there to Bethlehem. As he was going up the road, some young people came out of the city. They mocked him. Get going, Baldy. Get going, Baldy. Turning around, Elijah looked at them and cursed them in the Lord's name. Then two bears came out of the woods and mangled 42 of the youths. <laughs> Don't say I didn't warn you. <laughs> Friends, will you please pray with me and for me? Holy Spirit, you are here. Holy Spirit, speak to us as a faith community and speak the word that each of us individually needs to hear. Holy Spirit, may all that I say point us toward greater union and intimacy with you, the lover of our souls. Amen. So let's set this scene a bit. Here's what's going on. A little bit before this passage, uh, there are two prophets. We have Elijah, and then we have Elisha. Elijah is the older mentor. Elisha is the young apprentice. Now, as the older mentor, Elijah has been doing this gig of a, being a prophet for a long time. And by the grace of God, oh my goodness, has the Lord ever been with him. He has done some incredible things. He has been remarkably faithful. He has persevered. He has, the Lord has created spiritual fruit in his, him. But now his time as a prophet is coming to an end. He is getting ready for the next phase of life. And then in a scene that, believe it or not, is actually even stranger than 42 youth getting mauled by bears, Elijah is taken up into heaven in a windstorm. Nowhere else in the Bible do we read about someone going through this. Nowhere else does someone just get sucked away as a reward for being such a good, holy person. I'm not going to be able to fully explain that one either today, um, but I'll just say this. If God creates the universe, <laughs> I tend to believe God can do some pretty strange stuff as long as it's still in line with God's character. Now, an important part of this story, leaving right before the important start, and praise God for the cries of children. Praise God. Um, so a really crucial part of this story happens right before Elijah gets sucked up. He goes to his younger mentor and is like, is there anything else you need me to do for you? And Elijah recognizes that if he's going to be replacing Elijah, that's a big, big ask. That's going to be a tough gig to follow. So Elisha asks him, give me a double portion of your spirit. In other words, I'm going to need all the help I can get. Elijah, please pour out the spirit that has been given to you. And Elisha receives just that. 
So now Elijah is off in the heavens, um, and Elisha is the chief prophet. He's the one now who is going to proclaim God's will and God's desire to this ancient world. And Elijah, right off the bat, gets off to a really impressive start. He purifies the local water source that was causing tragedies like miscarriages and death. And suddenly, through the work of God at work in Elijah, this community now has safe water to drink. A big deal. And understandably, I think Elisha is feeling pretty good about himself. The work of God has been conformed in his life. Everyone can see, like, this man has an anointment. Both Elijah has seen the work himself and others have confirmed it. Well, then Elijah's walking along, just off to his next prophetic duty, and he runs into some obnoxious teenagers. And the dude loses his ever-loving mind. It's this weird mix of, like, Elijah throwing a hissy fit just because teenagers were being sassy and also, like, a sign of God's judgment against people disobeying God. Um, Elijah sends these two bears to mangle 42 youth. So we've got prophets, we've got teens, and we've got bears. Can you just say it with me? Prophets, teens, and bears, oh my. Prophets, teens, and bears, oh my. Prophets, teens, and bears, oh my. Like I told you, the Bible gets pretty funky sometimes. Um, now, believe it or not, there are a few things we can learn here. The first is that even when we're called by God to do good in the world and work that's needed in the world, not everybody is going to appreciate it. Old Testament scholar uh, Walter Brueggemann says that prophets have two main functions to live out, uh, two primary roles to criticize and to energize. They are to criticize the reality of the world, and then they energize people by engaging their imagination of what can still be. Now, prophets bring up areas of our lives, especially our spiritual lives, that we don't really want to talk about. And the response to prophets is to usually try and silence them. It's just kind of our broken human nature that most of us don't like going through the criticizing part. And we don't allow prophets to get to the energizing part. Because we can't get to the vision of a different reality because we get too offended by the criticism of the present reality. When we think of prophets, um, I think one of the most well-known that we would think about in today's world is someone we just celebrated last month, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. 
Now, if you noticed, every MLK Day, Dr. King has talked about very favorably today. If you're on social media, you'll probably see some of his quotes shared and hear all this talk about a desire to live in a world where we're judged by the content of our character and not the color of our skin. These are all very true things, and King did say these. Oh. Except here's the struggle, friends. When he said that, at the time he said that, he was hated for it. He was a troublemaking prophet, and people didn't want to deal with him. Uh, Dr. Adam Clark, who's a uh, kind of researcher of King, said in a podcast about King recently where he said that if King had just had black and white children hold hands and walk together, he would not have been called the most dangerous Negro in North America by the FBI. That's to say that prophets aren't viewed well in their time. Elisha wasn't popular because he was walking into a town that was worshiping other gods. And they viewed him as a threat to his way of life. So these young men, and yes, they probably were young men, because girls are usually nicer and smarter than that. These young men just start talking trash. And friends, the same thing happened to Jesus. And the same thing happens today. Prophets are criticized, and at least part of what this strange but really interesting and powerful story shows us is that in our spiritual lives, we can't hate on prophets who tell the truth and expect God's continual blessing. Can't hate on the prophet, especially if the prophet is speaking truthfully, and then expect God's continual blessing. And yet at the same time, with this particular story, um, and really the prophetic role of something that is, I think gives the prophetic role its most power, is nonviolence. Prophets are called to react nonviolently. And in this case with Elijah, Sending bears to kill 42 youth is not exactly non-violent. So friends, sometimes prophets, even though they've been sent by God, they are remarkably human and make mistakes. So let's just go back to the story for a quick minute. Elisha purifies the water, putting a stop to miscarriages and death in their neighborhood. Man, that is awesome. So he's walking along, he's proven his worth as a prophet, he's feeling good. He knows God is with him. He doesn't have to prove anything to anyone else. So just think of that. Walking along, knowing that God has called you to do what you're calling to do, and then you let a bunch of obnoxious teenagers throw you off your game. Just want to say, Elijah, dude, if you know that you have been called by the living God, you don't need to let these obnoxious teenagers throw you off your mark. 
And you don't, definitely don't need to prove yourself by sending bears onto them. This is like if you're driving an F-150 and a little kid on a tricycle sticks their tongue out at you and then you decide that you need to run them over. It's a little bit of an overreaction here. Prophets are works in progress. And yet what we can learn is that when we are truly, when we truly recognize and believe that God has called us to something, there's going to be resistance. There is resistance that we will experience in the calls from God. And that's when we have to remember whose we are and remember the words from Miss Taylor Swift a few years ago in one of her hit songs. Haters gonna hate, 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 but I'm just gonna shake, 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 shake it off. Friends, the resistance to God's call in our life is just not something that, it's not gonna be accepted by everyone. And it's okay. Keep going. Because ultimately, the God who is revealed in this story is a jealous God. And that doesn't, you know, we have that phrase in the Bible, and that sounds like God somehow, like, lacking because jealousy is not a good thing. But here's what it means. When we say God is a jealous God, it says that when God sees us worshiping other gods or doing something that God knows isn't good for us. And what these teens were doing in worshiping other gods was not good. God gets jealous because God loves us too much. God doesn't want us falling into the traps of worshiping something else or worshiping other people's opinions or whatever that distracts us from being God's beloved. These youth who just FYI are legitimately nothing like the youth we have here at our church, were worshiping other gods. And God is not okay with that. Not because God's like some type of angry kid in a sandbox, but because God wants to love us so fiercely that when God sees us fall away, that hurts God. God wants to come back. So friends, here's the moral of the story. Listen to prophets even when they give you challenging news. And when God does call you to something, expect resistance. But keep going. Somebody, somewhere, needs you to do what God has called you to do. And finally, friends, Let's all be very happy that we do not live in a neighborhood with bears. Thanks be to God. Amen.